Now, Chris, I know you're an animal lover, but mostly just on the outside. You ever been curious about the inside? No, uh, no, that sounds like that would be something a psychopath would want to do, like cut open a cat or something. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) Why are you asking me this? Oh, well, I've got a link for you, a kind of cute, kind of disturbing new VR cat demo. Oh, yeah, 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 right. This one from Leap Motion. Yeah, I heard about it. I had not seen it. Uh, I don't think I need to go inside a cat, Wes. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 253 for June 12, 2018. Oh, welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's definitely not going to talk about Microsoft buying GitHub this week. Well, I mean, I mean anymore. And yes, I'm still live from the road. I'm just outside of Dallas, Texas, parked at the Linux Academy headquarters. I'll tell you more about that, but let's bring in everybody. My name is Chris, and that right there over there is... My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. You and your wonderful Seattle weather. Oh, I know, right? It's overcast right now. Can you even imagine that, Chris? <laughs> no, 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 I cannot. Wes, we're going to try something uh, a little different today. going to reformat the show a little bit. This is the Unplugged program, after all. And we're going to do things in blocks. This is an idea I came up while I'm on the road. Totally 100% open to feedback. Uh, so here's what's going to happen for the first time. We're going to bust through a community update block of news. Uh, then I'm going to block all of the sponsors together in one easy-to-navigate spot in the show with all the links of the stuff I'm going to talk about this week because they're all launching stuff, some big stuff. I'll tell you about that. Then, towards the end of the show, we're going to kick back. I'm going to tell you about Texas Linux Fest, what the event was like, uh, about the parties that we attended, and uh, all of those kinds of stories. And then we'll wrap it up with an app pick that is extremely useful. And uh, our own Mr. Wes Payne will tell us all about it. But Wes, before we go any further, there is one duty that we must perform. We must. We must. We must holla at that mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. What's Howdy. up? Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello everybody. Oh, so wonderful to hear you. I uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty good right now. You know, I've started to acclimate to the Texas heat. You're Texan through and through. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. It's 97 degrees here every single day in Keller, Texas. But uh, I don't know, you kind of get used to it after a while, if that makes any sense. And it's a little less humid here than it was down in Austin, so that helps a lot too. And uh, I got to, uh, Anthony, the CEO of Linux Academy, picked me up Friday morning out uh, from the uh, campground to take me to Linux Fest. And while we were driving, I chatted with him. I said, yeah, you know, we're we're a little concerned about the heat because... uh, it's going to be 97 degrees, and of course, I'm going to have to run my generator to be able to run the AC, and that's going to be loud, and it's going to be limited, and I'm only going to be able to run it for, you know, it's just kind of like, it was just kind of kvetzing, as I'm sometimes known to do. It's only sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like I've made a living out of it or something. No. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, super cool guy, he, he gets a hold of his facilities guy Friday morning, and by Sunday when I got here... They had a power hookup for the RV, so I could hook up and what? get full service. Yep. So I got AC. I got full power. It's great. Even I'm even in the shade a little bit by the by this time. It's a uh, it's um almost about three o'clock uh, uh, about Chicago time zone area. Um, about this time, the uh, ba- building starts to shade the RV too. So it's 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 actually downright comfortable. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. How did you get such a sweet spot? I don't know, man. I was worried about it the entire time before I left. I was worried, like I was, I was, I almost went out and got like this whole Reflectix kit that I was going to put out all over the windows, and I was gonna. I, I remember I was really upset when my awning got busted because that was like right? a key part of, and that still would have been very useful. Uh, but it was a key part of my shade strategy. Like I was very concerned about this particular aspect, and it's gone way better than I could have imagined. And on top of that, we're right next to like a little pond crick thing. I don't know. They're, they're not like what we have in Washington because they're, it's just like any old average, like basically big ditch, but it's a natural thing. Okay. And it's full of fish and turtles. I have a turtle what? pond next to the RV. And so far I've counted four turtles and I'm told there's some turtles in there. They're as large as hubcaps, like big turtles. So you brought one on as a guest on the show today? Yeah, yeah. He's sitting right there. He's, uh, he just hasn't had much to say yet. <laughs> So last night, I'm working out by the pond watching the turtles, Levi and I. 
<laughs> that so that was so pretty cute. cool. Yeah, and then and then Hadia found this tour app. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's tour or something like that. I don't. Have you seen this? It's Airbnb for cars. No, I have not. And they specialize in sort of fancy cars, like oh. you, you know, so Mercedes, BMWs, Teslas, or like really souped up Jeep, Jeep Wranglers and trucks for Texas. And so for sixty bucks, we rented today a Mercedes with great air conditioning, a white <laughs> Mercedes with air conditioning that we can bop around for uh, a couple of days. Bopping around in Texas in style, no less. Look at you. You really know what you're doing. Mm, it's been pretty good. I mean, I'm getting there. I've got to walk through the Linux Academy office, too, and got to see some of their studio space that they have here. And uh, I've got the OBS rig um, loaded. It's got OBS on it. It's got Kubuntu 18.04 loaded. It's got the capture cards and the audio uh, interface all hooked up to it. And... Um, Going to try doing a, a Chromebook HDMI capture on it after the show. So they're oh, they're uh, interesting. Yeah, their transition to Linux uh, from the Mac is uh, is well underway. So it's, uh, it's been a great visit, and um, I now I now have a new term for air conditioning, and that term is life support. I now that's understand that it's life support. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a great it was a it was a it was a great trip to get here. It was hot. It was 104 degrees the, on the drive up here, and there was construction in Waco. So. Ooh. Yeah, it took a while. It took me five hours to get from Austin to Dallas, and uh, 104 degrees in that drive. But so, so are you are you homesick yet? Are you missing the comforts of the JB One Studio? You know, actually, today's kind of the day that I wasn't. Like some days I am right, but today isn't one of those days. Today I'm really kind of digging it. I'm kind of I'm comfortable. You know, uh, I I got the car, so I was able to go out and I was able to get some babes uh, fried chicken, Ooh. which uh, yeah. Which was described to me as as fried chicken that's better than grandma's fried chicken when grandma grew up making fried chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and sounds it was, incredible. It was actually pretty good. So it's been a great trip. There's been so much cool like uh, people to meet. There's some people that are visiting the Linux Academy offices that are out like writing software and, and doing startup stuff, and they're building on top of Linux and they're here talking to people. So the thing about the thing that I'm starting to appreciate is. There's like a bench of people here that are like, uh, like Red Hat experts and Azure experts and Ada, like expert experts, like really, like, really, like, I shouldn't give anybody any ideas, but like Amazon and Microsoft and Red Hat are poaching people from here constantly. Like these people really, so they're, so Linux Academy has people out here. They're just, uh, you know, getting questions answered and stuff like that. They've got this new meetup space they're building to, uh, bring people in from the community and so they can get questions answered. And it's just a really cool thing there. Wow. So I got to see all of that that they're building out right now. It's pretty neat. That is really neat. Yeah, so there's probably going to be some more Linuxy community things going on in this area uh, later on down the road once I get all that stuff rolling. But uh, what do you say? What do you, should we get into some some uh, larger open source free software community news updates? That's what we're here for, right? Let's do it. Yeah, we'll talk about Texas Linux Fest later, but uh, let's talk about some news items that people should probably know about this week. As we're, uh, it's only Tuesday, and there's things you should probably know about if you're a Copperhead OS user, especially. Now, Copperhead OS is a security enhanced Android distribution. It started in 2016. But it looks like the company behind Copperhead OS appears to have run into some internal trouble. Now, I don't really know the specifics at this point, but the situation seems to be devolving, and there's clearly some kind of dispute between the founders. You guys know how much I hate drama, so I don't really care to get into it. But there is a Reddit post that we'll have linked in the show notes where apparently one of the co-founders essentially is kicking out the other co-founder from the company. <laughs> so that does tend to cause drama, Wes. <laughs> Absolutely, especially you know at these really at these really small distributions or companies where that makes up a lot of the culture, a lot of the, the history, and a lot of the people you know trying to do work and organizing things. So, yikes! Yeah, and my thoughts are with the users. I know it almost sounds cliche to say, but it's like okay, well now what? Because uh, you know you have a user base who's using this because they have very certain kinds of considerations. A Copperhead OS appeals to a certain kind of user base. Well, now what? I don't know. I, I I honestly don't know where they go because I don't follow this very carefully. I see Mr. Popey has entered in the room. Hello, Popey. Good to see you. Hello. Hello. And Tyler's here too. Tyler, welcome back. It's been good. I haven't seen, I haven't seen you for a little bit. Taking the night off. I just got back in from uh, driving home from Southeast Linux Fest. Well, maybe we can pick your brain about that a little bit in the show. What do you say? Do a little Texas Linux Fest update and a little uh, Southeast Linux Fest update. Both were going on this weekend. So I'd love to pick your brain about that. Stick around. I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah, so this weekend was huge. It was full spectrum for Jupiter Broadcasting. So we had BSD Can going on in Canada, and Alan Jude uh, uh, was there, and it was live streamed. 
Tyler and Noah were at Self, and they were live streaming the hell out of Self. I was at Texas Linux Fest doing no work at all, just hobnobbing with everybody. <laughs> and uh, uh, Joe and Popey were at uh, Floss Talk this weekend. So all of that was happening this weekend. So Popey, if you want to talk about Floss Talk in a little bit too, we could just do kind of a whole kind of roundabout about some of the events we were at this weekend. Yeah, sure. And, uh, that'd be awesome. All right. So yeah, Copperhead OS, uh, back to the news. <laughs> so Copperhead OS uh, is uh, perhaps in trouble and it might be time to look for an alternative. I don't know if anybody in the mumble room has any alternative suggestions or if you do, Wes, but uh, I'd love to hear what the audience thinks on that. It's kind of a shame to see these projects. Maybe things will work out fine, but it's a shame to see things go this way. Especially in a security-focused project where you sort of hope that calmer heads will prevail as it's, you know, serious, attention-to-detail sort of work. But as always, personalities, they happen. That's exactly, basically just summed it up. Personalities happen. Uh, that's a title. Somebody said Bang suggests that. That's a good title suggestion. Uh, open source personalities happen. So Plasma 5.3, speaking of refinement and uh, working away on stuff, Plasma 5.13 launched today. And I think the big headline feature for most users is going to be the browser integration. It's a new set of features for Firefox, Chrome, and Chromium-based browsers that integrate in with Plasma notification pop-ups, uh, transferring files with Dolphin notifications, media controls can now mute and skip videos playing from within the browser, and you can send a link to your phone with KDE Connect now. And... Uh, you can also choose browser tabs. I have not tried this at all, but I, I understand that you can try you can try to choose browser tabs somehow from KRunner with an alt space keyboard shortcut. That's blowing my mind. I, I got to try that at some point. So that's probably the biggest user-facing new feature in Plasma 5.13. The one that I have been anticipating the longest is the redesigned for system settings and the new look for the lock-in for the lock screen and login screen, which I think. Looks really slick. There's also graphics compositor updates. KWIN gained a much improved effects for blurring and desktop switching. And of course, as all these updates go, there's been continued work on making Wayland awesome, including the return of Windows rules now on Wayland, which is a fantastic Plasma desktop feature, and the use of high-priority EGL context, as well as initial support for screencasts and desktop sharing. Whoa, interesting. Yeah, huge one. Uh, plus, something that's not really just like a bullet point feature here is tons of performance improvements, uh, memory usage improvements, lots of improvements on the system setting stuff, and a tech preview, that's what they're calling it, of the GTK global menu integration. So if you're a fan of global menus, there has been a hack available on Plasma. I call it a hack, but there has been a way to get it working on Plasma for a while. This is official stuff. This is going to be official stuff. So uh, that's really nice. And then a small one. It's kind of funny they're even putting this in here, but I legit like it. The digital clock widget allows you now to copy the current date and time to the clipboard. Hallelujah, Wes. It's those small little usability things that when they're there, it just makes sense, right? So new users are going to be like, oh, hey, look, this is handy. And when you want it or you're just trying to just trying to copy the things, you need to send it to someone right now. And then it works. And you're just like, yes, great, perfect. And now um, I think uh, I think... I'll leave, I'll leave it as an exercise to the user, uh, but uh, uh, producer Michael and I worked together on a, uh, a video for the Plasma 513 introduction, so I'll have that linked in the show notes if you guys want to watch that, that covers more stuff and shows screencasts and whatnot of all of that. But big news for you, Popey, now that you're a big uh, uh, Plasma desktop user, you must be looking forward to this. Yeah, always. I love just getting the fire hose of updates that come on KDE Neon because, <laughs> because it's different for me because I know I'm used to Ubuntu where, you know, we have our six monthly releases. So I have to upgrade every six months in order to get new crack. Um, at the platform level with KDE Neon, I've got their PPA enabled or their repo enabled. So I just get new stuff all the time and it's yeah. great. I love it. <laughs> it kind of is because it's, it's like, uh, it's the desktop stuff, but your core OS is uh, pretty much not changing much unless there's been some upstream change from Ubuntu. So it's kind of just the right balance in a, in a weird way. Uh, and surprisingly has not broken yet for me. You know, that's the other thing. <laughs> Sweet. Always a bonus. Has it broke for you at all? Um, not uh -oh. that I can remember. Oh, I was uh, going to say. It did right back at the start. There was a, 
well, K-Win has crashed once, maybe twice, mm. I think, but mm. everything carried on working. All the applications are still running. It's just the window mm. decorations died, and I just went to a TTY rerun K-Win uh, K and carried on running. I carried on running for about a week with, a, with K-Win running in a TTY. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. No problem and it worked. Yeah. That's a testament right there. Uh, the, the Neon updates will probably be flowing. I have not tried to update my box yet because I'm doing the show right now, but I think I will after oh, the show. you've learned. Good, good job. Yeah, good job. I'm proud. I, I am a little extra conservative about it when I'm on the road because, like, if it breaks at the studio, well, I could probably just go grab another machine. If it breaks while I'm on the road... I really am going to be in a, like, it'd be kind of embarrassing to walk into Linux Academy with, like, my laptop in hand and be like, uh, anybody have a thumb drive I can use? That's, uh, that's not the direction I want that to go. <laughs> Poby, did you hear about these wine packs? It reminds me, just last week we talked about a couple of snaps that were, quote, soaked in wine. And now we have wine packs, which uh, are just like the name sounds. Uh, it's a packaging up of wine applications as a flat pack bundle. And they have um, Fortnite, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft, as well as Internet Explorer 8, everyone's favorite browser, um, as uh, I guess you could call it, uh, what do they call them? Wine packs, as a wine pack. What are your thoughts? I think these um, these various uh, tools for making containerized applications are suited perfectly to this use case of having wine plus something. And the reason why is often you want to have um, a specific build of wine or a specific tweaked set of additional libraries that you might install with wine tricks plus the application. And that, that delicate balancing of all those things, someone needs to figure out and then get it all right and package it all up and it works. But then you don't ever want to touch it and you don't want to then, you know, update the version of wine or screw around with what's inside that, that, um, that you know fake c drive as it were um and that's exactly what these containerized applications let you do you end up having the right version of wine and the right config for Fortnite or whatever the right version of wine and the right config for whatever other game and they don't interfere with each other it's a great idea i like that and i wonder if this could be something that um that maybe crossover office could jump on top of and uh, bundle it with, uh, you know, bundle their applications in a way or bundle wine applications in a way that make it even easier for end users to install those. That could be kind of a neat thing. Yeah, it really seems like it could open up this. I'm thinking about the number of people I've sort of, you know, uh, softly pushed onto Linux. Some of them are playing more games or trying to use some more, you know, they're just doing more. And sometimes that involves Windows programs. I don't want to teach them how to use wine, so if I can point them at these things, oh, that's so much better. It makes it easier for them to get at. It's just, you know, click an icon or, you know, download a flat pack or whatever and just make it easy for people to get all the necessary bits and pieces that make it work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be curious to watch how many more of these we get with snaps, too. And uh, I think I think uh, the the whole concept is, is also potentially a huge boom for piracy it could be a you know you could go you could you could go pirate all kinds of windows applications if you can get it working right and get it in one of these uh, containerized application delivery mechanisms well that's already been done there, there yeah. are on pirate bay there are a whole bunch of flat packs for commercial uh, windows applications that have been bundled with wine that was done probably about eight months ago um but yeah, you know, people will always be bend technology to their will even if it's nefarious uses unfortunately yeah. Um, in some ways, maybe that's a way we can preserve software too, way, way down the road. So that'll be something interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a, there's a mosaic snap in the store. Right. So you can get the original mosaic browser if you really, really, what? really want to. Uh, yeah. Just do snap install mosaic and you can run the mosaic window. Uh, not a lot of websites work with it because it's a very old web browser, but the original homepage for the mosaic web browser does work. And that's what it is. The homepage for that that web browser so yeah it is a great way to preserve software you can have it in a little container it's not going to break out of that container and um you've got a little runtime environment that it'll work in for you know forever and for always now hold on i gotta do this this is too great right now <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm sorry if my connection gets a little shaky because i'm gonna i'm actually le legitimately installing this right now as we well talk. the good news is uh, mosaic browser isn't particularly it's large no, it's like, it's, it's like it's 1.4 megs yeah right <laughs> oh this is great Oh my! Oh cool, boy! It's also a train wreck on high DPI. Uh, surprise, surprise, everybody! Oh yeah, it will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there's any web page you can actually open on that. There are a few. 
you know what? One of my favorite sites, one of the things that, uh, one of the great things that I think GDPR brought us U.S. Uh, citizens is a whole bunch of uh, news websites can't figure out what to do. So they just threw their arms up and made text versions of their websites, which is nothing on it but the text. NPR's done this, CNN's done this, and it's the best thing ever. In fact, if you want to try it, go to text.npr.org. And it's just an all-text version. Um, and I also, I tweeted a couple of days ago this, what the CNN one is. I want to try it at text.npr.org. Let's try it in the Mosaic browser and see if it works. Probably going to fail on an SSL, sir, I'd imagine. Oh, it is. Yep, it's SSL. Yep. Damn. That seemed like if anything was going to work, that would have worked. But yeah, it's, you know, I hear that SSL can't be trusted, so they should probably drop that because I hear it's bad. <clears throat> oh, it's the worst. Just stay away from it. I'll try out more. Are you familiar with Gopher, Chris? Because that it's making oh, a resurgence. Yeah. So let me tell you. Oh man, geez, you you just really showed your age there. You want to talk about BBSs too while we're at it? <laughs> oh, I <laughs> thought that was on the docket already. <laughs> we're always on the lookout for old crusty software that we can put in a snap for a bit of a lull. Um, so yeah, if if you have any ideas, do you know where to find me? Yeah, I love the idea too because it is in a way preserving old old work. Um, we've been following this slow march to Linux apps landing on Chromebooks. And last week we talked about how the Samsung Chromebook uh, uh, is getting Linux app support, even though it's an ARM-based Chromebook. That's a, that's just great news. But now it looks like a new Chromebook that's on the market soon, uh, two actually, that were introduced by Acer, the Chromebook 13 and the Chromebook Spin 13, are going to ship with this Linux app support. So you guys recall, Google revealed back at uh, Google I.O., and we'd be covering it before that even, that Chrome OS would be adding support for running Linux apps within Chrome OS's environment on certain select hardware because it involves uh, either a certain modern version of the kernel or backporting certain kernel modules and features to older versions, which is what's happening in some cases, or in some cases like the Pixelbook, it just has the newest version of the kernel, and you're good to go if you get the dev channel. Last week, we discovered that if you subscribe to the dev channel on the Samsung Chromebook Plus, you could get Linux apps. And now, according to a commit that was spotted by the XDA developers, Acer's new machines are going to support Linux apps at launch. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, so they're going to start from day one with Linux apps. This is actually happening faster than I thought it would, Wes. It, it, what are your thoughts? Does it seem like this is happening faster, or is this about what you thought it was going to be, pace-wise? No, I I agree with you. It sort of felt like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, the high-end high end stuff, the developer-focused stuff, that's going to get this right away. The things that are already out there and people are already using as sort of experimental machines on the bleeding edge. Not something we'll see, like, launched right away or that people marketing Chromebooks would necessarily think that a wide array of people, potential customers might want. But, boy, this seems like, you know, the couple of news items we've covered about this, it does seem to have some real momentum and, like, it's a feature that's well-designed enough or stable enough that they feel like they can ship it, not have to worry about it. Sure, probably not a huge amount of people will use it right away um, or at least won't know that they're using it. But for the rest of us weird Linux nerds over here, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it's weirdos. Eric, do you have a Chromebook? And if you do or don't, would you consider getting one that has this Linux app support? Yeah, I would definitely consider one. Um, I've been pricing out like XPS13s and that kind of thing, but that's a little pricey for my position right now. So a Chromebook might be a good way to get Linux, but not at, you know, at a uh, Cadillac price. That's a good way to put it. I was thinking too, it works well as sort of like my backup Linux rig. You know, I can have... Um, I can have, I can have, uh, maybe I can have a 15 inch laptop and then I have a smaller Chromebook that's sort of like my backup portable Linux rig. That, you know, that'd be pretty nice. I think this might be the year that I buy a new Chromebook. I've never, never have, never bought a Chromebook. I've, uh, I've bought a used Chromebook once. Of course, I've played with my kid's Chromebook, but I've never bought a Chromebook. And so this might be the year that I finally break down. And I do it. What about you, Bobby? Would this put you over the edge for getting a Chromebook or, or a new one? I actually picked up a Chromebook um, just last week. Um, it was in amongst a bunch of stuff that was being thrown out from the canonical office as they were clearing out some um, some cupboards. So um, I grabbed it, and it's um, it's quite neat, but it's out of support because, unfortunately, it's the very, very first Chromebook, the CR48. Um, so there's no chance it's ever going to run Linux apps unless I wipe it and put something like Ubuntu <laughs> like 13.10 on there or something really old and crusty. Uh, I think that was the Chromebook I had. I think that was the same one. That was a popular one. I don't remember why it was so popular. 
Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna shop a little bit and I might try it. Um, yeah, so check that out, Acer Chromebook, yay! All right, so let's talk about something a little sad, just a little bit. The Mars Opportunity rover, uh, which does have a Linux angle, we'll talk about here in a second, is in danger of dying right now this week from a dust storm, and engineers are delicately balancing the remaining battery power. It's caught in a pretty significant dust storm. In fact, the most significant, I believe, that it's ever been in. And or if not, it's the second most significant. And the craft is hunkered down, trying to survive the intensifying weather. The storm was first detected on Friday, June 1st, by the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, at which point the rover's team was notified because whenever there's a large storm near one of the rovers, they, they page the team. The rover uses solar panels. So a dust storm is going to have an extremely negative impact on the rover opportunities, power levels, and its batteries. I feel like I understand its pain. You know, I feel like uh, my rover also has suffered from similar situations. It's just a harsh universe out there, and you got to protect <laughs> yourself. And then on June 6th, Wednesday, June 6th, uh, Opportunity was in minimal operations mode because of the sharply decreasing power levels. Now, the brave little rover is continuing to weather the storm. In fact, it sent a transmission to Earth Sunday morning, we last heard from it, which is a good sign. So that means there's still enough charge left in the batteries to communicate with home, despite the fact that the storm is continuing to worsen. But the main concern isn't really the dust storm itself. It's the need to keep the rover's heaters operational while maintaining minimal power levels in the batteries because it's so cold. Opportunity, though, is a pretty hard little rover, and uh, <clears throat> maybe Linux has contributed this a little bit. It's continually defied everyone's expectations for 15 years. It was only designed to last for 90 days, and it's still going. So this, I mean, this is why it's such a kind of a big deal, because not only is it represent just a massive technological breakthrough for NASA, and uh, it's just an incredible accomplishment, it's also representative of when NASA and the Jet Propulsion Labs made the change to using Linux as their development and control systems. Really? Yeah, it represents a really cool story behind the, the long-term behind develop, the development story behind this rover was. This wasn't going to be the rover initially. It was going to be a different rover, completely going to be designed, controlled, managed, developed for using all SGI systems. SGI top and bottom, SGI everything. But that mission took a turning point. And in the background, JPL and others had been experimenting with Linux here and there. Uh, a Debian laptop had gone up on the uh, space shuttle STS-83 in 97. So, De you know, so Debian went up into space in 97. But internally, they just weren't there yet. But they had sort of like this skunk works project to move things off of the SGIs and onto Linux box, onto a Linux box. And I've got the full story from Linux Journal from years ago, linked in the show notes. But I'll just give you the highlights of this of this piece. So they say, Linux originally was not intended to be the primary development platform. Our software initially was intended for use on the Mars 01 mission, which essentially would have been a repeat of JPL's 97 Mars Pathfinder mission. The plan was to do all rover commanding on a single Silicon Graphics workstation, as had been done on the Mars Pathfinder. Our Linux support was, at that time, mainly a hedge against SGI's fortunes. Wow. After the failure of GPL's Mars 98 missions, however, JPL replanned its Mars strategy. The Mars 01 plans were scrapped in favor of a later launch. That mission, that mission uh, later on became the MER mission, M-E-R. The upshot was that we got two years of development time that we hadn't planned on. Although it was for a different spacecraft than we had planned, we had two years. In those two years, Linux and the generic x86 hardware it runs on made enormous strides in both CPU and graphics speeds, thanks in no small part to the graphics chip maker NVIDIA and its strong support for Linux on the enterprise systems. As a result, we increasingly came to favor the faster, better, cheaper solution that was Linux. We eventually purchased two high-end SGIs to add to our Linux boxes during flight operations, but it's unclear whether we ended up using them. <laughs> the Linux boxes now give us equal, if not better, performance, and as a result, the MER rovers are being com are commanded by multiple teams working in parallel on dozens of Linux systems that we purchased for the mission. And now that's for 17 years they've been doing this. 
our software, a suite of applications called the Rover Sequencing and Visualization Program, short, uh, RSVP for short, was developed, tested, and deployed on Linux. RSVP gives mere engineers and scientists sophisticated tools for commanding Mars rovers. Because of the lengthy light time delays, which amount to nearly 20 minutes round trip, it's not possible to control the rovers interactively. RSVP provides an immersive environment that accurately displays the rover's environment and simulates its behavior. Throughout the Martian night, we Earthlings use RSVP to plan a days of activities at the command level and then uplink the resulting commands to the rover. The rover then executes those commands during the following Martian day. So there's two main components there of RSVP, the rover sequencing editor, which provides text-oriented commanding for all spacecraft commands, and hyperdrive, which provides an advanced three-dimensional graphics for driving, arm motion, and imaging commands. I think we call that AR these days, Wes. We sure do. And they say also uh, the messages is based on RML, an XML-based specification designed specifically for representing rover commands and sequences. And then they have so much more detail in the article. But they say the automation-friendly Linux environment contributed greatly to the whole system's reliability. Early on, we wrote extensive self-tests to code uh, to test our code and then set up a simple cron job to run the tests every night. If any self-tests failed, they were reported in an email message to the developer the next morning. This helped us catch bugs early, while the changes that it caused them were still fresh in our minds. Our aggressive self-testing was something of an experiment, and it paid off handsomely. How about that? This is an incredible article, and and what a story. I think you really hit on it. It's like the the rovers have been so cool and given us such a new understanding of this, you know, this neighbor in our solar system and that you can make it all happen with the technology we already think is great and use and love. And it just sells Linux so well, right? You don't have to make sure that you've budgeted accurately for the number of machines that you hope that you actually need and all the licenses to run them. If you can get commodity parts, you can just stick more Linux on it, have multiple people working on the same thing. Not a problem. And it's so interesting that it kind of started as like this little side skunk works hedge. And then then as time went on, it's like, wait a minute, this thing has just surpassed what we were originally hedging against. That's so Linux. That's such a Linux thing to do. <laughs> it is a Linux thing to do, right? You're like, well, it's free, so you can kind of sneak it in. Oh, we're just running the test server on it. Oh, yeah, the backup system. It's fine. And then you realize it's just easier to work with. I met some Linux Journal people at uh, Texas Linux Fest, actually. Is that right? Yeah, speaking of Tejas Fest, uh, yeah, I met. A, I, they had a booth. They were giving away uh, posters and uh, things like that. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let's. Uh, so we, what we just did there is kind of a new format. We just did a, every, everything just all back together. No stopping, no interruptions. We just uh, just did all of the news right there. And now I want to stop and I want to do a sponsor block because our sponsors are doing a lot of cool things this week and you're going to need links for some of this stuff. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do all of them right here. And then the rest of the show, we just continue on. And I want to get your feedback on if you like this because I know, A, some of you have heard this before, so it makes it a little easier to navigate. And B... When we talk about some of the stuff our sponsors are doing, there's no clear place where in the show you go get those links. So uh, let's start by thanking Linux Academy because that's where I'm parked at right now. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged is where you go to sign up for a free seven-day trial. Linux Academy can help change your life through affordable, high-quality online cloud training. You can learn new skills, get certified, and train your team and advance your career. We heard from several people at Texas Linux Fest who said their whole IT department has an account. And a lot of people said, I just got one because I'm learning to go somewhere. I'm trying to get into security. I'm trying to get into cloud computing. I'm trying to wrap my head around how the Google Cloud works. It was really fascinating, all the different reasons people get into it. But the one thing that remains true is that it's extremely valuable extremely valuable resource. It's a training platform to learn everything about Linux and whatever Linux runs on. And back in April, they launched 70 new courses, challenges, and learning activities. And I mentioned it here on the show. And it was a big deal. 70 is huge. It's a lot of content. Uh, and now that I'm here, I have learned, little, little, little bird, I won't say much, but little birdies have been telling me they are all focused on July. They have... They have a lot of content coming out in July. Their biggest ever. It's going to be a ton of stuff. They've already kind of been teasing it a little bit, including uh, their newest pillar, security. They're going to be launching a bunch of security courses, and they're doing a giveaway to celebrate all of it. So I'm going to put a link in the blog. Or I'm going to put a link to their blog in our show notes at linuxunplugged.com/slash-two fifty-three, so you can get in on the swag giveaway and find out about the new content that's coming out. It's 
massive. And to watch the whole team work on it as they are, from from art people to developers to the course authors to the executives and the admins to, to, to the marketing folks and to the community people, they're trying to get the word out there. Like everybody's focused on this because – well, it's just a huge launch. It's it's massive. It'll blow your mind away, and and they're really proud of it. So go to Linux Academy right now. You can sign up for a free seven day trial. Try out the platform, and then next month a whole bunch of stuff is going to land. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. That's where you go to support the show and get a free seven day trial. Now Ting Ting has been providing my connectivity on this entire trip from the moment I left Washington to right now. They have been a rock solid mobile carrier. They're smarter than unlimited. If you use less, you pay less. You can go to linux.ting.com and get $25 in Ting service credit or $25 off a phone. That's linux.ting.com. The average bill is $23 per month per phone. You pay for what you use, a fair price for however much you talk, however much you text, and however much data you use. So this month, my data bill is going to be more. But for the other 11 months of the year, I pay hardly anything for data because I have Wi-Fi everywhere I go. And they have nationwide coverage. I've been able to use CDMA and GSM right where I'm at right now is a GSM town. It's a GSM town. It's been working just fine. But sometimes CDMA works a little better, especially when I was in Utah. I found that CDMA just worked a lot better. No contracts, no other termination fees. You can try Ting risk-free and you can support the show. Linux.ting.com. They give you a control panel where you can manage everything, see your usage at a glance, take complete control, set usage alerts. Oh, oh, and they're doing some giveaways. Uh, they have a lot of things going on. But the thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct you to, because you've heard me do these ads before, you could probably do this ad, and you could make some money. Ting is doing a $100 Amazon gift card if you refer a friend or family member, you know, whoever, maybe nice. a child. You know, you convince your eight-year-old. No, I'm kidding. You can't do that. Uh, yeah, refer a friend to Ting, and you win a chance to win. You get a chance to win $100 in Ting gift card, Amazon cards from Ting. And you just take all the things I've told you about Ting. You pay for what you use. Take your minutes, your message, your megabytes, whatever you use. That's what you pay. $6 a month for the line. No contract, nor the termination fee. Great company, fanatical customer support. CDMA and GSM, you can bring your own device or you can buy one directly. They got no agenda. They don't necessarily care what you do with your device. Just use it. They're not going to try to push some sort of Ting experience down on your device. You say all those things and then you give them a link. And you're probably going to get this $100 card because you're going you're gonna to sell it. You're going to sell it. I, I know you. So start by going to linux.ting.com, either for yourself or a friend or a family, or if you're visiting the States. I've met people traveling that come here, they get themselves Ting, and they use it while they're here because it's $6 a month. Why not? It's great. I love having it. I love having I have a CDMA and GSM now just to make it easy. I went, I'm, not, I'm not activating devices or nothing. They're just ready to go. Linux.ting.com. And finally today, big thank you to DigitalOcean, making changes everywhere in the open source community. And they're making it possible for you to build better applications and get things deployed at incredible speeds at industry-leading price performance and predictable cost. Start by going to do.co slash unplugged. You get a $100 credit. You can apply that to your DigitalOcean account and you can mess around with a new account for 60 days with a $100 credit. My favorite rig is three cents an hour. So $100 credit is going to get you far and they have incredibly fast infrastructure, enterprise-grade SSDs on everything from like the $5 a month rig up to the big mamma jammas that have hundreds of gigs of RAM and Xeons for days. Oh, and they now have flexible droplets. You can mix and match the resources you need. I've got a Fedora 28 box running up on DigitalOcean using 250 gigs-ish of block storage. It's so smooth the way all of this works. When you set up a Fedora 28 cloud instance, you immediately connect your SSH key. You get the DNS all set up if you do it like I do, and you just log right in and get working. It's, it's so straightforward because of this dashboard. They make managing all this stuff simple, even if you've never done it before or if you've done it for a decade. So check it out by going to do.co slash unplugged. Cloud firewalls, the block traffic at the network level, monitoring alerting to keep you on top of what your rig is doing, easy-to-use, well-documented API, and tons and tons of documentation. Speaking of that documentation, I've told you in the past that DigitalOcean is willing to pay folks that write really good documentation for DigitalOcean. Well, now they're introducing something different. So I'm going to put this link in the show notes as well. You can now write for do nations for do nations okay sorry but that's the joke uh you can actually now write for DigitalOcean, and then what they were going to pay you contribute to an open source project or a charity uh, for example there's a um a article i have linked in the show notes how to verify downloaded files that you download on your linux box like an iso 
that was written by Michael Hawley, and uh, he donated his $300 writer's fee to the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So you can, you can go write up something that you're a technical expert on and then contribute out to a charitable donation. Uh, and, and they're going to match, too. Up to, I think they'll match up to $400, something like I can't remember. So if you want to, uh, anyways, the details I'll have linked in the show notes. I think this is a super cool program. It's definitely worth reading if that's something that you could possibly be good at. It could be a great way to contribute documentation to a community and contribute to a charity or an open source project that you like. So I'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Everybody's got something going on. It's just a big, great week. Check it all out and get started by going to do.co slash unplugged and get that free $100 credit for 60 days. do.co slash unplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean, to Ting, and of course to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. Okay, moving on now. Let's talk about Texas Linux Fest. What a hell of a party. So it looks like Omnipotence had to leave. Uh, he, uh, he joined me there uh, along with a whole bunch of people. We had such, such a great time. So let me tell you a little bit about it. We won't spend too long on it, but it'll be real quick. Texas Linux Fest 2018 was held at the AT&T Conference Center in Austin, Texas on Friday, June 8th to Saturday, June 9th. And it was a hell of a party. Oh, ironic badger. Oh, where are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm in Denver today. You are. Well, you're good to see you. Good to see. You. How are you doing? How's the how's the road been? How's the trip been? Are you recovered? Are you still hungover? How how has it all gone? 2000 miles in 2 days for a British man. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a lot for you. Yeah, you've done a ton of driving. Welcome to the States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's awesome. Alex, uh, uh, Mr. Badger there, uh, has been traveling around uh, looking for reasons uh, for places, perhaps. And uh, he joined us at Texas Linux Fest. He made quite, the, I think you get, you win for probably making the furthest track to Texas Linux Fest. Thank you. Is that, is there a prize? Um, no, <laughs> the barbecue, I guess, uh, bragging it was, rights. it was so, yeah, bragging oh, rights. How good was that barbecue? Life-changing barbecue, life-changing. Like people talk about barbecue a lot about Texas and barbecue. Uh, it's next level. You agree? Well, I wrote a blog post about it and I used the same phrase, life-changingly good. So yeah, I do agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was incredible. And it's one of the funny things about Austin is if you're hanging out with Austin locals, they're really passionate about discussing the best place to get food. And that might just be a Texas thing because we were in the hallway here at Linux Academy talking about where to get lunch and people stopped by to give us their, their two uh, on where we should go. It seems to be food is important in Texas. And I can respect that. I really can. About 500 people made it out to Texas Linux Fest. Uh, there was roughly about like three to five tracks going on at the same time. Really good talks. In fact, I heard a lot of people saying they're having a hard time choosing which one they wanted to go to. Uh, I attended a few. Uh, Wes, I went to a talk about how BPF is being used to do like Linux kernel tracing and stuff like that. Oh, that really sounds cool. fascinating. Yeah, the BPF talk was probably my favorite. Yeah, I was kind of creeping on the whole, you guys down at the fest. And it looked like there were a ton of great talks. I would have had the same problem. And that's always a good sign when you're at a conference, right? I mean, it's a little upsetting because you can't go to every single one of them, but you know it's packed. There's no filler content. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I liked also the talk, um, uh, so you've been home, so you've been pwned, like what to do in the next 30 minutes or something like that. I can't remember what, the, but it was, it was a good, it was a good one. You could tech snappy kind of, absolutely kind of talk. Lots of lots of lots of TechSnap fans there. Tons and tons of Linux Unplugged and uh, Linux Action News fans. That was so awesome. Every night we had probably about three parties. Really, it was one of those things where you'd go out and then you'd go out again, and then the group would break off again, and there'd be like three separate parties. The first night we went out, it was. I mean, we we probably had a group of forty. I don't know. I'm guessing it was huge, and it was because Linux Academy bought out the the hotel bar, and. Uh, Paid an obscene amount of money and drinks for everybody were on Linux Academy, which was amazing. So uh, generous. I, there's no way I was going to cover that tab. And then, uh, and then we went out to uh, like another place. Alex, you don't remember the the name of the place that was on the lake, do you? It was the Hula Hut. The Hula Hut. What a place the Hula Hut was. Great drinks, great atmosphere, right on a lake. And so we hung out at the Hula Hut for a bit with the Linux Academy crew and, and, and another group of the Jupiter Broadcasting group. And then, and then from there, we went to a brewery where we got a little minor brewery toury, toury <laughs> and drank some great ciders and shut that place down and then went home. 
And Saturday night was the barbecue shenanigans, which were just life-changing. My first thought after I ate that barbecue, and I'm 100% serious, and I, I, I did not expect this reaction, was, oh, shit, now what am I going to do? Now I have to come up with some excuse to come down here soon so I can eat this barbecue again. Because it was like, I have to be back here. There's just no no question about it. So that was Saturday. We did a bunch of festing. And then we went out. Oh, man, I can't even remember. Oh, Saturday we went and got some horrible pizza, I think, and fried food. That was pretty awful. But then uh, a few of us, like Alex, uh, we went back and hung out at Lady Jupes for a while. That was pretty great. That was a lot of fun. It was good to see Lady Jupes in person, that's for sure. <laughs> now, uh, I think it was a total blast. People take their food very seriously, and so do I. The whole thing was so much fun. I've adapted to the heat. I'm, ju- I'm damn near ready to move to Texas at this point. I really had a great time. It's definitely hot, but for some reason it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's because you're having such a good time, you don't care. <laughs> that first cafe we walked to for like 30 minutes uh, Friday was the most brutal uh, of the whole trip, really. That was rough, yeah. Exercising <laughs> in that heat is, is not a good idea. No. No, uh, Alex and I are both used to around Seattle and London style climate. So walking around in a hundred degree sun beating right on you was, was quite intense, but everybody takes their AC very seriously. So once you get inside, there is some sweet, sweet relief. There was a, uh, a thread on uh, our Linux, your favorite. And, uh, it's, I attended Texas Linux Fest. Where's the Linux? And they're calling out uh, people for being at Texas Linux Fest and not using Linux to present, including they call it somebody from Linux Academy, although I don't know who it is, and um, several others for using Macs and whatnot. But um, and it's got it's got a decent amount of upvotes, five hundred and twenty nine votes. It's got uh, something like damn near three hundred and forty five comments, and it's this uh, it's this old boogeyman that we have in the Linux community, where um, we'll collapse an entire person or an entire company down to a single variable. And we'll say, anyone at company X is not using Linux, therefore that company is disingenuous. Or that presenter isn't using Linux, they're using a Mac, so therefore they're not a very good presenter for a Linux event. And um, it's a it's almost bigoted in a way if you think about it. Because say you take away Mac user and say, say they're because they're white or because they're bald. Now, all of a sudden, that's a real asshole thing to do. Now you're a dick. But when you replace that variable with Linux, that's a perfectly fine thing to do, apparently. And uh, it's kind of sick. It's kind of gross. It's something that uh, I think if you were coming into the Linux community and you saw that, it would, it would kind of disgust you a little bit. And I think it's because of insecurity. I think people are looking to those people to be validated, to have their choices validated. And when they don't have their choices validated, it um, they're, they're looking for, well, what's wrong with this person? Why, why wasn't that what I expected? Why am I not wrong and they are right? That's, of course, me playing armchair podcast therapist. If you look at one of the comments, Chris, it says, Linux Academy have invited Chris from JB to come and convert their broadcasting <laughs> workflow. The next comment says... But they are Linux Academy, so why do they need help from somebody else? Isn't that the point of the open source community, to share ideas and collaborate? Yeah, help each other. I just don't understand the hate. I don't get it. Yeah, and you know, it doesn't make you an expert on every topic, does it, Wes? Uh, no, no, not at all, right? And I think we Linux desktop users obviously like that, want to promote it, and that does usually get, or at least historically, has gotten a fair amount of time at these these Linux meetups and events, but especially if you just have, you know, Texas Linux Fest, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be desktop Linux. It doesn't really have to mean anything else. And shouldn't we try to be an inclusive community of, hey, we want whatever you like. Maybe you maybe you started on the server, you love using your Mac on the desktop, it works really well, especially with the, the corporate provided PowerPoint that you're required to use or, or whatever else. And just try to show that, hey, look at all these, you know, if you come to the conference and see a bunch of other people presenting on ThinkPads or see people with ThinkPads showing you how great they are, that's one way to do it, and complaining about it probably won't get very far. Mm, well said. Good point. And what do you think about this idea that if we bury our heads in the sand and say none of us ever use a Mac, or nobody ever tries Adobe Premiere, they only use KD and Live, or they, they never try anything on Windows, they've never even booted Windows, um, are they an expert that you want to hear their opinion on topics from? I mean, like, are, aren't they missing a huge data point? 
Can they be trusted? What do you think of that, Wes? You do need to be aware of what alternative workflows actually exist if you're going to speak to them, especially if you're coming from a world where people are already using those workflows. It's much easier, especially in the open source side, if you just have never touched the proprietary stuff. And sometimes, honestly, I've had it in my life where I, I just avoid it. You know, uh, I don't need that. I know that if I try it, I'll probably get hooked and I'll start wanting to use that service instead of whatever open source tool I'm using. Mm, yeah, that's the slippery slope. It, it really is. And and that can be fine, right? We've talked a lot on the show about sometimes it makes sense to, to pay for things, even if they're proprietary for your own personal life. Be pure when you can. Support open source when you can. But we none, none of us are perfect. And then especially going the other way, once you've established a workflow, especially if you're using it for some sort of commercial endeavor for your business at your workplace, you can't just change because you want to. You have to be able to change because it actually works or maybe is even better. Mm, yeah, yeah, true that. Eric, you have to use, uh, what, do you use a Mac or Windows for your day job? Do you find that gives you a good contrast, a point of comparison? So when I first started at this job, um, I was issued a Dell laptop running Windows 7. Uh, they announced shortly thereafter that they'd be moving to Windows 10, which um, is okay for the, the two games I play twice a month here at home. Uh, but as far as a work system, uh, Windows 10 just isn't, isn't there at all as, as a Linux server engineer. Um, so I was able to request a MacBook Pro, um, which I, I liked my 2015 MacBook, but they issued me one of the uh, one of the one of the touchpad uh, MacBooks with the new keyboards that feel like you're just pounding on concrete. Uh, but having having all three operating systems around me, um, I'm a I'm a Linux uh, server engineer, and then I'm I'm actually talking to you guys from my from my custom built Arch PC at home. Uh, so I, I feel like at least having some exposure to all three platforms really gives me a, an appreciation and really gives me a drive to work on uh, what what tools can I port over to my Linux system because yeah I hear I, I may be I may be running arch but it's still the most the stable platform of of all three operating systems I work on yeah okay that makes sense it sort of drives you to keep pushing it forward so Poby, I uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on this because rumor has it there may be a Mac user to a canonical someone may be using arch even at canonical so this is a controversy that you've witnessed not just at canonical but all over the place what are your thoughts on a don't you kind of isn't it isn't it good every now and then to like look at a Mac and see how they do it when you're when you're working on say creating software for the Linux desktop because that's good valuable experience and B what about this whole attitude around the whole thing so it's not controversial at Canonical because we've never had a policy where you have to run Ubuntu. You run whatever you need to run because actually the computer is your own. The company doesn't provide you with a computer. You get a um, a chunk of money periodically and you go and buy whatever you want. As long as you can do your job, nobody cares what you're running on your desktop. Um, and so that means some people are running Ubuntu. Some people actually aren't running Ubuntu. And that might mean they're running some other Linux distro. It might mean they're running a different desktop or it might mean they're running a Mac. And many of those people who are using Macs are using Macs because the software they need to use to do their job is not available on Linux. But end of story. And no, GIMP and Inkscape are not alternatives. So yes, those people, some of those people work in design, but some of them aren't. Some of them are server people or DevOps people, and they run um, OS X on a, on a Mac because they prefer that laptop, and they do all their Linuxy stuff in VMs or on remote machines. They're not part of the desktop team, so there's no real reason why they should have to run Ubuntu desktop. So you may see someone who works for Canonical on the server side or the cloud side who uses OS X, but it's their laptop, it's their choice. They can do whatever they want with it, so long as they get the job done. Personally, I I can see why people have this need to point out that, that if you're an ambassador of a distro or an ambassador of a product, it makes sense for you to use it. You would never see someone who works for Coke on stage drinking Pepsi. It's, <laughs> right. it, it's no yeah, different yeah. than that, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But if your role is in PR, you know, you're making a massive faux pas by doing that, you know, Coke Pepsi thing. But if that's not your job, if your job is working on something that's completely unrelated to the Linux desktop and is like a server component or an application that runs on a server, then that I, I, all bits are off. It's, it's up to you what you run on it. So... I think it's a little ridiculous that people go hunting down people who are running, you know, something um, 
other than the thing they want to run, right? And these same people are the people who reboot into Windows in order to run Steam, and they're allowed to do it, but you're not. And I don't like that attitude. <laughs> That's a good point, too. Yeah, I think uh, my my wrapping thoughts are really around this whole thing is uh, it just makes really good practical sense to stick with free and open source software. And it isn't necessarily worth like going to the pitchforks when somebody is talking about Linux from a Mac because this other were other presenters that were using, I don't even know what kind of hardware it was. It was ARM-based, eclectic, self-built, small batch computers that were like, you had wires running to an HDMI port. Um, and I didn't see a Reddit thread started about that, but those are running Linux. Um, so it's, 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 I think, important to keep in mind that you want to have an informed opinion especially if you're going to have a strong one. I have a strong preference, for example, for iOS over Android. Not a big fan of it. Just uh, think iOS is slightly better. Think Android is slightly worse. I think there's also serious uh, privacy trade-offs with Android versus iOS. That's a position I'm perfectly comfortable defending because I've owned an Android device. I still own Android devices. I've bought many, many Android devices. I know how to use Android very well. I'm a very competent Android user. So my preference for iOS is based on my direct experience using Android. I feel like that's a good thing because at least you know I've tried it. I'm not sitting here espousing how great Siri is without trying the Echo. I'm not telling you that I, I think iOS is better without ever trying an Android device. That would make me an idiot. It's important that we don't lose sight that we can't just whitewash the world and have everyone on Chromebooks or everyone on a Linux desktop and pretend like Windows and Macs don't exist. Because the reality is they do exist. So we have to know how to interact with them, we have to know how to support them, and we have to know where we're deficient so we can make up our deficiencies. And when you're committing, when you're trying to convince someone to switch over to a free or open source software product, and if it has deficiencies, if it does not have equivalent functionality to the proprietary thing that you're switching them to, you're going to lose credibility if you don't tell people that. If they get over and then they discover, it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth and it's probably going to push them back into the arms of commercial software harder and probably forever. Exactly. Yeah, right? And and it's the wrong perspective. You know, if you're, if you're especially if you're trying to convince someone like, the, the nice thing to do is have a conversation. So we should, you know, maybe we can have a conversation about this topic as like, why why did we not see more Linux laptops in presentations? And instead of being antagonistic or an interrogation, it can be a conversation. And if you start from the place of, hey, what are your workflows? I'm curious if maybe Linux could do those better instead of, or you know, or just try to understand why they think a Mac works well from them. That's right. very different. Is it a projector thing? Is it a slide software thing? You know, well, what is it? What are we not? What are we not proficient enough in? We don't know. We don't know. That's a great point, Wes. Um, okay, so Tyler, if you're uh, if you're at the mic, I'd love to hear how self went. About maybe, do you know about how many people were there? Uh, yeah, I couldn't give an exact number, but it, uh, definitely a healthy crowd. Uh, pretty much filled the room during the keynote talk that Jeremy gave, and that was a good talk uh, going over the last ten years of self. He had uh, plenty of funny anecdotes, especially stories about, including a story about a wedding that went on one of the years uh, that they had the conference <laughs> at a hotel. <laughs> That's great. And uh, was there a fair amount of vendors? From what I understand, there were fewer than, than there was last year, uh, from what I was told. Uh, and I think that's probably due to the overlapping in schedules with uh, conferences like Texas Linux Fest. So he didn't want to yeah. step on too many toes on that one. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that cost Texas Linux Fest a few vendors as well. And that really, I think, the reason why it was going down at the same time came down to like venue scheduling or something really benign that ends up just totally being like, what was everybody thinking? It's really kind of a shame. Uh, so uh, now you uh, do you re do you regret skipping Linux Fest Northwest, or do you think it was good to balance them out this week or this year? I think it was definitely good to balance it out this year. Uh, but I but having experienced both now, I am definitely returning to self next year. Really? Yeah. Okay. Good plug for self. Very nice. Maybe I'll go. So, Mr. Popey, how was Floss Talk? A good get together of uh, Linux podcasters drinking beer in a small, intimate venue. Must have been fun. 
Yes, actually, it's FOSS Talk. Uh, and, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, FOSS Talk Live. Uh, it's organized by uh, the internet's Joe Ressington. And um, he, this is a third one, I think. Uh, uh, we went along, as in uh, the people who run Ubuntu Podcast, uh, Joe and the guys from Late Night Linux, and there's uh, the guys from Linux Voice go along. And also there's a drunken mashup show at the end of the evening, which is variable quality, but was excellent this year, much better than they've redeemed themselves from last year. Um, and there's um, a podcast recording, then a break, and a podcast recording, then a break. So everyone gets to clear out and go and get another beer and then come back down into the, the very small, cozy um uh, basement where we record the shows and uh, it's very intimate um there's some familiar faces that turn up in the audience and also some new people each time um it's it's lovely it's really really good fun it's a really nice um way to just have a an evening out with some friends and record some silly podcasts it's good fun Yes, that does sound like good fun. And yes, Floss Talk, of course, is Randall Schwartz's show that I uh, get stuck in my head because my brain does not have enough room for words. Now, uh, I know that Joe's already put out uh, his late night Linux of the yep. uh, talk there, and uh, it was good. I won't, I won't lie. It made me a little bummed because uh, the topics they chose were the, the, all the guys had very, I thought, clear analysis of challenges facing Linux. And uh, it actually kind of motivated me to, to kind of want to try to fix it, some of the things they talked about around marketing and all of that. So anyways, it was a, their episode was out. I'm assuming an Ubuntu podcast must be coming soon. Yep, ours will go out at 3 p.m. UK time on Thursday. Uh, we were on immediately after them. They were our warm-up act. And uh, we... Um, we were a lot more upbeat, I think. You bring um, the mood up? Good. Yeah, I yeah, know. I did. We lifted the mood a little bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look out for that um, on our website on Thursday. I should have stacked them. That would have been better to stack them in my podcast player if I had known. Because I was like, oh, all right, we can we can fix this. He did. It was kind of motivating, though. So it was good. I'm really glad that uh, I'm really glad that that happened. One of these one of these days. Although there at uh, Texas Linux Fest, there were several people saying, "Go to Fosdem. Go to Fosdem. Go to Fosdem." That's the thing to go to. So. That may be in my future as well. Yes, go to Fosdem. It's amazing. So, uh, what do you? Is this just must be your first uh, US fest, Alex? First time uh, I've been to anything outside Europe. Yeah, but Fosdem, you should definitely go to Fosdem. All right, there you That's go. Another, another, yeah. another, another plug for Fosdem. It might, it might just happen. I'll, well, I'll go with you. You and I will both go, Wes. We'll go over there. We'll do like a Wes and Chris tour, tour uh, London. And uh, <laughs> we'll storm Europe. So start drinking your water now, because we're probably going to be drinking a lot of beer. Yeah, Chris, why not Chris storm Europe? Fosdem's in Brussels, so you get great beer and great waffles. Ooh, <laughs> oh my, oh my. Like. Yep, so I'll be uh, fasting pretty soon to make up for the uh, tons and tons and tons of eating, uh, because there has just been... I mean, what else are you going to do when you're in Texas? Yeah, you're I think you're 90% barbecue. Did you manage to steal any recipes to sneak back up here to the Pacific Northwest? I tried to bring back a few samples so that we could study them and then oh, oh, you know, sure. derive. The yeah, but uh, somehow it all got eaten. I don't know what happened. It's some some mysterious thing. Oh, Levi, I think the secrets in the cows, Wes. That's what oh, I think it is. Oh. Secrets in the cows. I actually, speaking of secrets, though, uh, after our our really great barbecue that we had at Terry Black's barbecue. We got to tour the where they make where they cook it all. They, no they, way! It's like behind the restaurant. Yeah, we we just casually you know asked, and they're like, "Yeah, man, come on in." Mind you, it was like uh, ninety eight degrees outside, and a humidity of like eighty percent or something. And so you go inside this barbecue pit, which is like a uh, like a large um, greenhouse almost. Only it's full of barbecue cookers. Temperature shoots up to like 110 degrees. It's dry heat, but it's just incredibly hot in there where they were smoking tomorrow's meat. And uh, the guy works in there in that Texas heat all day long. And when you step out, when you step back outside, it feels like you're stepping into air conditioning because it's the temperature. It's so hot in there. So I did try to grok a few secrets. Uh, they converted old propane tanks, like big propane tanks, like on the side of a house. They converted big propane tanks into barbecue tanks. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good time. It was a really good time, and um, I'm going to have to do it again. So let's talk about our app pick this week, and then we're going to wrap this sucker up. It's FERP, F-R-P, a fast reversible proxy. Uh, and I like the way they describe this, Wes, because it will help you do one of two things. It'll expose any HTTP and HTTPS service behind a NAT, or... Number two, expose any TCP or UDP service behind a NAT, which would seem to include HTTP. So what is FERP, Wes, and how is it doing it? 
it is a fast reverse proxy uh, and it's it's a go application that's got just pretty simple ini based command file um you run one instance on some server with a public ip address so i've got one up on our on our dear friends DigitalOcean, and then you connect to it it also has a client program both of them have a configuration file the server just sort of like sets up opens its port for clients to connect to there is token-based authentication if you you know have security in mind and you probably should then you configure your client and sort of configure on the client side what services you want to export you then get that running with that client config, connects up to the server, and then they do a little, you know, a little magic mumbo jumbo talking to each other. Then your services are, that's it. Your services are exposed. You can reach them from the public internet. It does the reverse proxy back to whatever computer is behind the NAT. It doesn't really have to care. You don't have to open anything on your firewall as long as the client can reach out. And then, you know, the stateful firewall does its job and lets the server talk back through. You're good to go. That's pretty cool. And I could think of all kinds of fun ways to uh, use and abuse that. The other nice thing is uh, it's, it's also got a dashboard that comes with it. And the dashboard's pretty, it's a little more full feature than I really expected it to be, especially for something that is probably just thrown together. So there is a link that'll exist at least for a little while um, in the in the IRC room. You can go check it out. The password's admin. The username is admin. Uh, just, yeah, simple little view. It shows you all the proxies that you've set up so you can get a good idea of what's actually running, if they're online or not. Cool! Plus it's Go, so it's just like a little, you know, it's a little static binary. They've got it for different architectures, whether you're on ARM or AMD or, or whatever else. Have you moused over one of these pie charts for the network traffic yet? Have you seen that little bounce uh, effect yeah, that it does? It's pretty cute. That's <laughs> really neat, actually. I did not expect the dashboard part of this. That That surprises me. Oh, this is really cool. And it's actually still responding, even though myself and others in the chat room are banging on it right now. That's yeah, you know, and I, I haven't, I have not used this a ton. I just, it just caught my eye this yeah. week and I thought it would be neat. In other situations, you probably set up some sort of reverse or dedicated tunnel. But for, you know, if you're just moving around a lot, you don't really know what you need or you just need something for short term. This could be super handy. And I like how minimal the config. So instead of having a generic VPN tunnel that you have to really carefully firewall, you know with this program that you're you're really only setting up a few exported services and you can see them right there in your config. Absolutely. So that's pretty cool. Again, it's FERP, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes at linuxunplugged.com slash 253. Mr. Payne, before we go, you should probably tell people where they can get a little more Wes in their life. Oh, yeah. Well, one, techsnap.systems. Stay tuned. Uh, there'll be another one out coming out sometime this week. Or if you're just impatient, I'm at Wes Payne over on the Twitter sphere. Hey, oh, I'm at Chris LAS. The whole network is at Jupiter Signal. I'll be down in Texas for about four more days, three more days or so. And then I'm starting the long journey back up to the Pacific Northwest. Man, do I miss those kids. I'm excited about getting home. I'm almost tempted just to fly home and see them. Aww, <laughs> Leave well, Jupes behind. We all miss you too. Don't worry. <laughs> Go get more episodes at Linux or linuxunplugged.com slash subscribe. Go check out the Ubuntu podcast. They're going to have their episode and Joe put out Late Night Linux. So go grab more Linux content over there at our friend sites. And of course, join us next week live over jblive.tv. We do this show on Tuesdays. And if we don't see you then, I'll see you on the download next Tuesday. When the boss is away, Wes, the bots will play. I thought JBot took the afternoon off, but it looks like the title page is actually loading. Oh, it is? Oh, good. I thought it was down, too. Yeah. Personalities happens not bad. That's pretty good. That's that's not that's not perfect, but it's pretty, it's pretty close. good. Pretty, pretty good. Hey, Mumble Room, thanks, guys. It's great to have some of you in there You're for welcome. the first time. You're welcome. You guys are the best. Where did you get FRP from, this graph thing? Ferp. Wes found that. Ferps. Yeah, Wes found that this week. He has. He is a sleuther, Popey. <laughs> it's true. I don't actually quite remember where I saw it from. Kind of neat, huh? Eric and I are wondering when you tried Kansas City barbecue. Yeah, that's what everybody says. Although, man, do the people in Austin talk shit about Kansas City barbecue. <laughs> you know what else they say is... Uh, 
that uh, you guys think it's good because you don't know any better. That's what they say. That's what they say. Multiple people say. People tell me. People tell me, Tyler. People tell me. Don't they also BS about uh, Carolina barbecue? Hey, look, I have tried all the barbecues on this trip. Uh-oh. I've tried North Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah, that's Memphis, right. Memphis. That's uh, right. Arkansas, Catfish Barbecue, Texas Barbecue. And hell, if Texas Barbecue didn't win, hands down. Yeah. Only one got the life-changing title. Only one. I didn't hear an Alabama on there. Does anybody want to visit Alabama, though? 